Welcome back to the TOTCast, guys. Our beloved Toronto Raptors are finally in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, they've made it. We're officially there as a franchise. It's, it's a wonderful sight. Uh, this, this episode, we got Damar and Ryan both joining us, so we kind of got a super pod going on here. Guys, what are your thoughts on the Raptors finally making it as a franchise? I feel like we still need that air horn going on. I'm serious about this, man. Well, our lovely producer, Ryan, will make sure that's in there because he's created all that stuff. Post-production, baby. You know, the club horn, right? You know which one I'm talking about? I've been to a few dance halls. <laughs> a little sugar daddy's horn right there. Okay. <laughs> but guys, what are your thoughts on the game tomorrow? I think the Raptors, they played really well. You know, they kind of disappointed me. When, uh, I, you know, I predicted them to win in six games. I would mean them winning uh, in Miami. They failed me in Miami. But they came back in game seven. I doubled down. I said they would win. I thought they were the better team. I've, I've never been happier as a Raptors fan. Ryan, what do you think about Game 7? I mean, you've been a Raptors fan, shit, man. Since they came in, like, to Inception, you've been all about this. So this had to be an all-time high for you, brother. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? To be fair, though, I must say it was more relief than anything because the way I'd been seeing this team play, watching them throughout the entire season, there was no reason they shouldn't have been able to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And the way that they were playing, especially our best two players, obviously, it's a... Honestly, we're being a dead horse talking about Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. But to see them rise up the way that they did finally in Game 7, we finally saw, it really felt like we finally saw those two playing the way that they'd been playing for most of the year together and finally kind of fulfilling what a lot of fans were hoping could be a possibility. So really, I'm relieved and excited, and I'm hoping that if they can continue this, I mean, sky's the limit. Well, Kyle Lowry was something else. I mean, he finished tonight playing a team-high 42 minutes, 11-20 from the field, um, team-high 35 points, plus 31 Nine assists, seven board. I mean, the, the guy was absolutely everywhere. Would it not be fair to say that was the best game he's ever played in his career? Well, in his career, I mean, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty large. Pretty large talk. Doesn't he out of a couple forty point games? I think if you take into contextually, though, like oh, in context, everything. It's just I think there's there hasn't been a bigger moment for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there hasn't been a bigger moment for the franchise. I think we talked about this earlier, where I said Ronald's legacy is kind of Kyle Lowry's legacy. It's intertwined. So by going to the Eastern Conference Finals, they've both been there. I think both of them have been there for the very first time. So Yep, they both have been. Yeah, I can understand it being the biggest game of his career. Textually, of course. And maybe not statistically or empirically. So you know what, here, Ryan, I got, a, I got a question for you that would call Lowry playing as well as he has. Sure. Shoot. He's got a bigger, I guess, uh, hmm, I guess a bigger folklore in Toronto now. Vince Carter or Kyle Lowry? Because Lowry's taken to a place he's never been. Well, even at this point, given how deep Kyle Lowry has taken this team into the playoffs, I'm still going to have to give it to Vince Carter because of the fact that, I mean, Kyle Lowry has taken what where this team was at at one point and taken it to another level, albeit it's taken 15 years now. But what Vince Carter was originally able to do was really get this country invested in basketball in the first place. I mean, before Vince Carter came, there was even talk of moving this team out of this out of Canada because of the lack of of um, because of the lack of performance from this team. I mean, Vince made this team a winner at some points. And, you know, you even look across if you're looking across this city, you're still seeing some VC signs on some of these older basketball courts that were donated because of that rise that Vince Carter had in a Toronto Raptors uniform. Uh, these are all doors that he kind of opened and, and gave these kids that were growing up specifically in this city, but also all across Canada, of a player that exciting that makes them want to get invested in basketball in a way that I don't think anyone else has ever had to before. 
I mean, they were talking about how Steve Nash, yes, he was the greatest Canadian basketball player of all time, but as far as influence, Vince Carter still has that influence of being the first. And I think being the first still has that folklore over just being the latest. And I think that's what Kyle Lowry still is. I think what could really change that perception, though, is if he somehow, along with DeMar DeRozan, is able to bring the, the Toronto Raptors over this Goliath that is Cleveland now, I think that might be able... We I think that's when it's more appropriate to revisit that uh, that comparison. I think that's more than fair. And to be honest, the only reason I want to ask you this is because people that have listened to our previous podcast, they know how hard you beat on the drum for Vince Carter. Vince Carter is like your all-time number one fan. Like that, That's your dude. So I had Bit of a fanboy, I must say. Yeah, you, man, you won in the trade from at the trade deadline. That's how, yeah. big, like, that's how much he's your dude. So, yeah, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be upset if Vince Carter retired in Toronto. I think a lot of people would be very happy to see something like that. I can imagine. I'd be pissed I mean, off if up. he didn't. Wouldn't you I know? was going to say, and, and I was actually going to say, um, when I was down at Jurassic Park uh, on Sunday, I actually saw a couple of Vince Carter jerseys in the new Raptors uniform. Wow. Oh, you can, oh yeah, because you can get a specific spelling on NBA.com and you can just get Carter on the back, number 15. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the fact that people, I just thought it was interesting that, you know, there are people that are still interested in doing that. That is pretty cool. I mean, his impact on the city is undeniable, right? He's a big reason why the Raptors are where they are today. Um, the interesting point you brought up with the Canada basketball thing, it makes for a nice little segue here into the Cavs-Raptors preview because you got Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson playing, one on uh, mm-hmm. each team respectively. How big of a moment mm-hmm. is that for Canada basketball? I mean, you have two players homegrown for the most part. I mean, they know they, most of their skills developed in Texas, but there's still two Canadian players playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't, I don't know the last time that's happened. I can't really think of the last time that's happened either. I think it's really... It, I think it's um, not necessarily a shining moment for Canada, but it's definitely a huh type of moment for Canada where you realize that uh, Canadians are having like a, a serious influence on the on basketball in general. It's not just these two players; it's also Andrew Wiggins that is also in the league. Is Maple? <laughs> it was his name, Maple Jordan. His nickname is Maple Jordan. So I could. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, Canadians, and there's a lot of Canadians you could point to now where. Are having a larger impact on the league than most people thought Canadians would, especially when uh, Toronto just joined the NBA. I think I have to agree with Tamar's point there, and I think part of what makes it, and you can even make the argument, part of what makes it a shining moment is that it's not a big deal anymore that the Canadians are doing what they're doing now, specifically Thompson and Joseph. They're, they're two prominent players in each of their teams. They have specific roles and are relied on heavily to produce. Um, you know, considering their positions, yet, you know, no one talks about the fact that they're even Canadian. Like, it's not a big deal anymore. I think that's part of even it being that cool. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It not being mentioned makes it cooler. Because, you know, it's not a surprise for a Canadian to be in the NBA anymore. I think the same thing is also happening to Australians, where, you know, you know Andrew Bogut and Delvadova are Australian, but it's not really, not really a big deal. I think people forget that these guys are Canadian or they're Australian. I think they just they just view them as basketball players now. And it's not so much of an anomaly to see international players succeeding at the NBA level, which I think is mm-hmm. pretty cool in itself. I mean, the game has evolved internationally to this level that guys are coming from literally everywhere. And it's, yeah, thanks, it's cool. Dirk. 
Yeah, right. Dirk's the one that started all that kind of renaissance. <laughs> Thanks, Dirk. Thanks, Yao Ming. <laughs> I, I can remember a time, actually, where there was a lot of people in the 2004 Olympics when they were looking around and went, wait, Tony Parker's from France? Like, that, it's, it's funny because, like, that kind of, as, as we were just saying, that anomaly just doesn't exist anymore. But it was always so funny to kind of, whenever you'd watch those international games, you'd start turning your head and start realizing who's international and who isn't, but they just melt, melt so well into the game nowadays that you really can't tell the difference between them anymore. Okay, well, here, you know what? Now that we're going to kind of delve off topic a bit, let's get back on track here and let's just dive right into the Cavs. There's always a chance, they say, right? There's always a chance to win. There's always a chance to make this a series, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's feeling a bit pessimistic about the Raptors' chances here. Um, what are your guys' opening thoughts on the series as a whole? You think the Raptors got a shot? I think the biggest issue at this point is uh, that LeBron line, that LeBron lineup with LeBron at the four and Kevin Love at the five. Toronto doesn't really have anything that can match that at this point because you can't really play Biombo against that lineup because it would draw him too far out of the paint, and you can't play Jonas because he's too slow for that. Even if Jonas. Who knows if Jonas is even going to play, but if you do play Jonas, you can't really play him uh, during that extended period of time because he's too slow to guard Kevin Love, and he's obviously he can't guard LeBron or a shooter, so you might play him off the floor, which is amazing to do. It's crazy to think about, actually. Well, they'll be without JV for at least the first two games. That's what Casey said today earlier, so for whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, what were your opening thoughts here on the Cavs and the Raptors? Uh, the Cavs and Raptors, I mean, once again, this is literally the David versus Goliath match, even though it's the one seed versus the two, only one when separating the both of them. Uh, from a standpoint that I'd have to say, I mean, the Toronto Raptors, they would just have to find a way to in, in, improve their, their perimeter defense incredibly. I mean, this is a team that, now to be fair, Damari Carroll was out for half the season, if not more, Uh, and this team managed to have one of the worst perimeter defenses as far as defending the three. They were 29th in the league, and they they haven't been faring much better in the postseason. But to be fair, now with Amari Carroll out there, it looks like he's fully well-rested. You know, he's going to be a huge X factor for the Raptors. If he's able to at least somehow contain LeBron James and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love have a couple off nights, I feel like the Raptors have the collective effort, especially if Larry DeRozan continue their Game 7 magic, into this series, they'll be able to steal at least two games away from the from the Cavaliers and make this a series. And if they can do it early, give them a quick punch in the mouth, even getting a win on the road in Cleveland, who knows where this series could go. I kind Just of go back to your, that too. Sorry, Demar. Let's go back to your point about the three-point shooting, where the Raptors were one of the worst at defending the three-point shot in the league. I feel like a lot of people haven't um, really harped on this because the Heat are one of the worst shooting teams. The Heat and the Pacers are the one of the worst shooting teams in the league. So even though they were getting open looks, they're not hitting them. Right? Yeah. And so now the Cavs, you know, they're just coming off of, like, I think it was, like, three games of shooting 15 threes, right, versus the Atlanta Hawks team that were, like, one of the best defenses in the league. I really think Toronto needs to shape up and, like, really just determine how to communicate on those... uh on those jump shots, or they're going to get destroyed from three-point range. I think they're going to get destroyed from three-point range regardless. I mean, Cleveland's shooting so well, and the way they've been spacing the floor out has been borderline Golden State-like. But to kind of piggyback on Ryan's point here, aside from Kawhi Leonard, is there a better player in the league that's more equipped to defend LeBron James? 
I think Damari Carroll is the absolute best, second best choice after Kawhi. Would you guys agree with maybe, that or no? Maybe Paul George. Paul George, Andre Iguodala. Raymond Green to an I would take Iguodala in a lot of circumstances over Damari Carroll. But that's mostly like an experience thing versus uh, defense. Like They even played against each other in the in the finals last year. Damari Carroll, you know, great defender. Actually, you know what? Yeah, he's a great defender for um, long threes, good for against fours. He can play small ball four, but I don't know if he has the heft. That's the problem. If he has the heft to play against LeBron in the post, especially in that uh, Kevin Love at five lineup. And then even when they put Channing Fry in there sometimes, I mean, they really space things out. It's it's fun to watch. They don't use it as much as people think they do, the whole Fry love LeBron, but it's been lethal when they have. They're averaging almost 119 points per 100 possessions. That, that should tell you all you need to know right there. <laughs> Jesus Jesus the boys. we got to stay positive here. Give me the defensive rating on that, on that lineup. Oh, yeah, no. Actually, <laughs> they've been 114.2 points per possession. That's, that's insane. Mm. Plus 16.8 net rating together. They only played 19 minutes together, but when it rains, it pours with that lineup. So that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there another matchup that sticks out to you guys, though? Aside from the obvious LeBron, Demari Carroll? Al Lowry versus uh, Kyrie Irving. That's going to be interesting. Because I don't know if they're going to... There's nobody you can really hide Kyrie on. So he has to guard uh, Kyle Lowry. Which is um, a bit dif- like a bit of a difficulty because he expends so much... Kyle Lowry... I mean, sorry. Kyrie Irving expends so much energy on offense. Especially when his layups... He like hits people a lot when he's doing his layups. You know, he takes a lot of contact. So by doing that and then also having to guard the best player... On uh, Toronto, I want to see his like his energy levels. You know, he's going to be really tired, and I'm probably going to affect his shooting. So I'm interested by that that, that uh, matchup there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a, an interesting matchup here, actually. Um, Terrence Ross, anytime he's coming off the bench, especially if he's spotting up against uh, J.R. Smith. I mean, Ross for the first. Uh, I, this is a guy who. All season, we've been questioning, was he worth the $30 million? And in these playoffs, I really haven't seen him do, with the exception of those horrible giveaways he had in Indiana. And he's, he's been an up-and-down player. But, I mean, when he's came through for us, man, has he ever came through offensively? As long as he limits those idiotic decisions he's been making at times, especially near towards the end of the game when he's trying to do things by himself and trying to put on his, you know, DeMar DeRozan Jr. shorts, then I think him against... You know, whether it's a J.R. Smith or anyone he's matching up on the wings uh, against Cleveland should be an interesting matchup just to bring a little bit of extra firepower off our bench because I think something that no one really has been talking about for the Toronto Raptors, the Amer- especially in the States, a lot of the narrative has been about how bad DeRozan and Lowry are playing, and rightfully so. But if these two guys have been as bad as they are, what does that tell you about our bench being able to literally carry us through two seven-game series and then for our guys to show up when they mattered most? And that's really the kind of narrative that I've kind of seen build throughout this series. And now that we have our two stars doing what they did in Game 7, I, I, I don't mean to keep going back to that, but it's just very interesting to see what kind of headspace this whole team is at at this point. Well, for me personally, there's one player that I think that doesn't get enough credit with the Cavaliers but is a key cog in everything they do is Tristan Thompson. Um, his ability to switch off defenders and pick and roll scenarios uh, to even rebound. He's just a very versatile piece that he can help nullify some of the effect that Kyle Lowry and DeRozan have when they cut to the rim because if they get caught in a bad switch and it's 
Thompson coming over on help D or even getting them in man-to-man situations, he can slow him down. He can guard them to the point where he'll probably force him into a shot they don't want to take. And how the Raptors decide to defend him on the offensive side of the ball and actually attack him when they're on offense will be interesting to watch for me. Because if, if I would ask you guys this, I think you'd be a little surprised. What do you think the best two-man combination is for Cleveland this postseason? Just based off of offensive efficiency. So I'm going to go offensive rating here. It's probably, I would say Le- uh, Kyrie yeah. Irving and Kevin Love. Nope. Okay. You want to take a say I'm going to say Kyrie Irving and J.R. Smith. It's actually LeBron and Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson oh. is, him and LeBron have been the two most effective two-man tandem this year for the Cavaliers this postseason. And for the Raptors, it's been Corey Joseph and Kyle Lowry. So that's just strictly offensive rating. So you, you guys both know with advanced stats, you can skew things in a certain direction you want. But I just think it tells you how important Tristan Thompson is to what the Cavs do. He, he crashes the glass. He lets them literally do a variety of things defensively. I mean, he makes Tyron Lue look like a good coach. So that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of a for something, right? Um, Which coach do you like? Just give, just give me like a breakdown of like three. You want five coaches. Five coaches. Yeah. Okay, we could do this, man. You ready for this? Because I feel like you're yeah. going to criticize a couple here. So, Brad Stevens, because mm-hmm. he's like a wizard. President Brad Stevens. So, there you go. Easy Bill Simmons. President Brad, Brad Stevens, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Popovich, for sure. Okay. If Tom Thibodeau didn't wear down his players so much, he'd be in there. But I'm going to keep him in there because I feel like he's a really good coach. Okay. You, you cool with Tibbs? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just Dwayne, here. Dwayne Casey? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to think here. Who's uh Oh, you know what? He's a bit of a control freak, but I'm a big Rick Carlisle fan. I won't lie to you. Okay. I mean, I love what he does out there. He's a basketball genius, so we're at four right there. And the golden child, Steve Kerr. Wow. So the Literally the golden child, blonde-haired and blue-eyed and all. Yeah, I mean, and look what he's done. He's and had he, success. And he plays in Golden State. Right? <laughs> so there, there's a couple more, but... Come on, you can't seriously think Tyron Lue is... He's a, he's a good coach, but he's not a great coach. Like He just inherited a shit ton of coach. talent. Yeah, exactly. He's LeBron's coach. <laughs> this is LeBron's epic thing. Yeah, so the this, so we're not expecting a battle of the minds between Dwayne Casey and uh, Ilu here. Oh, you know, man. You know what, though? To give Dwayne Casey some credit here, I know he takes a lot of flack in the Toronto media. The Raptors have bounced back after a loss very well this entire playoffs. They actually haven't lost back-to-back games this postseason. I was going to say, yeah, they're undefeated, aren't they? Yeah, and each game, I mean, Casey's made great adjustments. So I think we got to give him a little more credit than we do. Would that be fair, guys? Or, uh, or yeah, I, I, I can dig it. I, he's actually, I think he's a very good coach, other than his offense. I, he had yeah, um, yeah. somebody like Jeff Hornacek. Jeff Hornacek, I'm pretty sure, is not employed right now, so if, and he remember he engineered that Spurs offense. I mean, not Spurs offense, the Suns offense a couple seasons ago. They won nearly fifty games running two point guards. Yep. So if they had somebody like Jeff Hornacek. Jeff Hornacek. I don't know if Dwayne Casey he's listening to this. Let me say one more time, Jeff Hornacek. <laughs> he's out there. He's lurking. I like he's a great offense. He's lurking. <laughs> like that, like that, cor- like that dude in the corner, of Sugar Daddies. Yeah, 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 exactly. Great offensive engineer. Bring him on board. That's all the team needs at this point. Somebody that really knows how to coach offense. Dwayne Casey, just from ex- what I've seen, is just not good. Well, let me ask you guys this then, because this is something I found kind of interesting with Kyle Lowry when I went back and looked at his success against the Cavs during this regular season. Uh, he almost shot 50% from three 
against the Cavs this year. So he went three, five, seven. Man, he shot the ball really well. He actually went seven for 16 from three, and then basically almost 50% from everywhere else. He was lights out. So do you think that's something that's going to keep up, or is this just kind Absolutely. of success? You th- oh, you think he's going to just scorch Kyrie yeah. like that? Yeah, because Kyrie is not a good defender. He's like a one-way player, you know, and they typically try to hide him on the worst offensive player. It's just that they won't be able to do that in this case. They can't do it against the Raptors because if they put him on DeMar, then you just get a ton of post-ups, right? Yep. If you put him on, you can't move him up against, like, Damari because there will be more post-ups. But if you play him against Kyle Lowry, you know, he's not capable of staying in front of Lowry for extended periods of time. So you just have... You know, I wouldn't say like free runs with Lowry and free shots, but it's going to be considerably easier than playing against uh, playing against George Hill that he had to do earlier in the season mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Very true. Ryan, do you think he can uh, maintain his shooting success here? I mean, he had a 56% true shooting percentage this year against the Cavs. That's pretty damn good. Kyle uh, Lowry, right? Yep. I... Hmm. Like That's here. a great question right now because – no, go ahead. You were going to say something. No, I was going to say um, Lowry and Kyrie head-to-head. Um, man, Lowry's averaging 19.7 points per 36 minutes there, so nine assists, uh, one turnover only, which is surreal. I figure with the mm-hmm. amount he's going to be handling the ball this series, which if Corey Joseph is on the floor, I think Lowry should handle the ball almost every possession. It's nonstop, yes. unless they're in transition. That's the only way he doesn't. So yeah. I think his turnovers will be a little bit higher. But his shooting percentage, though, you you got to figure the Cavs are going to double him a bit more than what we saw in the regular season. Well, of course, and, and as with anything else you see in the playoffs, the defense gets turned off a lot. The uh, the whistle's a little bit looser, unless your name is LeBron James or Paul George or Dwayne Wade. But anyway, um, the uh, but when you have a guy like Kyle Lowry, I think just the importance of right now from them trying to at least move away a little bit from this isolation-heavy offense we've been seeing. And that's something that they're going to have to do because – Cleveland's been seeing this game tape. They've now had three extra games to sit there and actually watch the Toronto Raptors run their offense. And all they're saying to themselves is all they really have to do is just look for the corners trap and force one of these guys to cough it up because all we've been seeing is a lot of dribble penetration, hesitate, settle for a mid-range shot. And then occasionally we finally start seeing the ball rolling. rolling. And when that happens, that's when you start seeing Kyle Lowry hitting these transition threes for about five feet outside of the three-point line. And I think if they just continue to find a way to keep the ball moving, Kyle Lowry, yeah, he can continue shooting like that. It won't be as well as 56%. That's just not going to happen. Not against this team. Hell, not even in the playoffs, period. But there's still an opportunity for him to have huge offensive nights against the Cleveland Cavaliers, as he has with all of these teams. Okay. No, I could buy that. I just, uh, you know what, asking the Raptors to move the ball and get out of this ISO offense is asking for a lot, in my opinion, because... I know, they're not I know, it's, but it's the only way they're going to win. It's the only kind way of did it. Win. Game 7, they were able to move away from it slightly. You know, there were possessions where the ball was moving corner to corner, you know. But it's nice. still, still going to be... And you know, when the game gets close, or when people are... Uh, they feel like they're cornered in the NBA. They go back to their original instincts. And for this team, it's isolation or it is high screen rolls. Well, would it not be fair just, to say that the ball moves it, the most like, when Patrick Patterson's involved? When he's involved yeah. in the game, the Raptors' offense is totally different. Absolutely. You know, he's able to, you know, he's under, I feel like he's a little bit underutilized where he is, 
Like yes, James Johnson under- realized? <laughs> I think you're. I, I really feel like you're overrating James Johnson. Oh no, What's no! I just love the punchline. I love the joke about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the one thing. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was just saying, like the one thing that does kind of bother me though is what we've seen a lot in these two series because we've now had 14 games to watch this team. A lot of it has been spent trying to get Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry going which has taken away quite a few shots from guys who normally would be very confident taking those shots in the regular season and asking those guys now to start trying to kick it up themselves, like the Patrick Pattersons, like the Damari Carrolls even, even though Carroll's been doing well in the last couple of games. Um, uh, even if James Johnson, for the, for the two minutes he gets on the floor, or um, Ter- even Terrence Ross, I mean, a lot of these guys have sacrificed shots to try and get those two going more than even Corey Joseph. Corey Joseph really, in my mind, has been the only guy who hasn't necessarily changed his offensive mindset about attacking the, the hoop. And even though he hasn't been as successful in the regular season, because to the point earlier, it's a looser whistle, I mean, it is going to be asking a lot to get these guys going again, considering everything that's been happening lately. One of the problems with the Raptors is that they keep trying to get Mar DeRozan involved, you know, even if he's playing. Exactly. Really, I don't think this. I think this is a, you know, uh, a problem with Dwayne Casey is that. Remember in that interview where he said he would ride or die with Kyle Lowry and Mar DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Well, he's very willing to die. Like uh, you can easily see that he's very willing to die with Mar DeRozan. So you can't really do that against a team like the Cavs because, first of all, they're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league, and second of all. You know, their offense, their defensive uh, rim protection is off the charts. You know, they have uh, Thompson, and they also have LeBron James, who is, you know, I wouldn't say a rim protector, but somebody that is willing to uh, protect the rim if he needs to, especially when he's at the power forward position. He is the rim protector. So I have a question here that I really wanted to ask you guys because I've been struggling thinking about it as well. Um do you think the projected starting lineups will be for this game? Like, for game one, at least. Who's starting? For which? Toronto. Toronto? Toronto. Ron, you want to take a stab first? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right now, from what I've seen, it's gonna obviously going to be Lowry, DeRozan. Uh, they're going to start Biombo at center. Just, like, who, who else can we really start at this point? And then... Damari Carroll's going to be sitting in there at that small forward or power forward, wherever kind of LeBron James spots up, he'll be there. And uh, Patrick Patterson. I'm going to have Patrick Patterson as our four guy. Just spread okay. out the floor. A mobile, moving starting lineup that even though Biombo isn't necessarily known to be able to defend the perimeter at all whatsoever, at least it's an athletic body that can get across the paint extremely quickly to try and protect the rim. Uh, he takes a lot of pride in his defense. Patrick, When Patrick Patterson and him are together in the post, they seem to have a, a lot of energy that they're able to feed off of each other. Um, and, you know, once again, you got the four in Patterson that can spread the floor. Your rider dies, and Lowry and uh, DeRozan. And, of course, Carroll's going to be there because guess who's going to be on the other side staring him down? And this is, and I'm going to say this right now, this is the guy Messiah Jury signed him for, gave him $60-plus million for He's, he signed him to say, go out there and guard that guy, number 23, across the floor. So those are my starting five. I'd agree with that for the most part. I mean, I do think Carroll's going to be jacked up. Um, he's an Alabama native, so he's from Birmingham. That city's known as a hard-nosed steel town place. Uh, the only way he won't be is if he's an Auburn fan, so I doubt he is. So <laughs> <worry about that. laughs> 
I'm just saying. Auburn fans, I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a no relative worry. of Chris. I don't <laughs> really know this man. Yeah, he only employs me. <laughs> so my starting five is going to be pretty much the same as Ryan. Um, Lowry, DeRozan, Carroll, Bebe, and Jason Thompson. That's going to be the starting five. <laughs> I have a question, boys. No, I just yeah. I, I couldn't say the same thing as Ryan. So, but I do agree <laughs> with him. Go ahead, Ryan. I do have a question, though. Actually, here's here's a question. Um, if if Jonas Valanciunas couldn't could play, but he wasn't at one hundred percent, is he starting at center? Hmm, that's a good question. If he was like eighty, if he was like eighty percent, Demar. I think so, just because they've been uh, starting Tristan Thompson at the five, right? So Tristan Thompson, although mobile, he's if he's on offense, you know, he's only hanging out around the rim. So you can, as Jonas, you can protect the rim, right? Hang out with your man. Defensively, it's going to be a challenge. Like when Tristan Thompson's on defense, it's going to be a challenge to get rebounds because that's what Tristan Thompson Thompson specializes in in offensive rebounds. So yeah, I would still start Jonas because he still gives you that offensive um, offensive ability that Biombo doesn't give you. You know, the post ups. I don't really know Tristan Thompson as a defender in the post because mostly people don't uh, use post moves, especially centers. Pretty much Mark the soul, and that's it. So <laughs> yeah, that is it. <laughs> so um, as a center, you know, Tristan Thompson has you know he's just unproven as a center. So I would want Jonas in there. He was able to play, but unfortunately, in game one, he's not able to play. <laughs> Chris, you know what? I definitely start him just because you got to attack Cleveland. You can't sit back and you know let them dictate the pace and the game flow. They'll kill you. They'll kill you every time. Uh, even though JV, like you're saying, would be hypothetically eighty percent, he's just a game changer in the regard that he puts a lot of pressure on Tristan Thompson, like Demar was saying, where it forces him to kind of. Hit the glass a little harder, physically get worn down. It's just it's just a lot more things, and it's a bigger man for him to deal with than Biombo. I'm not saying Biombo's not a fierce rebounder, but JB's a load. He's a big dude. Um, I I think you can manage his minutes, and you can play him around. Uh, to kind of piggyback off your question, though, would you guys feel more confident if JV was healthy and playing in this series, or would you feel the same? I would. Yeah, I would feel more. I would feel so much more uh, confident, actually. I would say like. Toronto would have like a chance of stealing the series. If JV was playing, really? Because that's of, pretty bold. Yeah. Really, we're we're talking about two teams that have like such a similar record. Of course, they have LeBron on the team, but JV is better at like is a better center than any uh, big man that is on Cleveland. I mean, Kevin Love has been playing well recently, but his, you know his shooting ability could be mitigated by uh, Patrick Patterson. The only thing I would be uh, afraid of. By the Cavs at this point is LeBron, but that's why we, that's why we have Carroll. I can't imagine him stopping him, but there would be a chance to slow him down. There's no real answer for JV on uh, for Cleveland. The only thing I'm really afraid of is that small ball, that super small ball lineup with LeBron at the four, Kevin Love at the five. That's the only thing that really just like crushes the Raptors, and they have no answer for it that going forward. Yeah, that's a big thing I fear as well is that small ball lineup. Um... Kind of what I got from you, though, from everything you said there, is very similar to what Ryan told me off the air when I was talking to him today. He doesn't really believe that Cleveland and their three-ball success is legit. He thinks they just got really hot and they just shot out of their minds. Do you kind of feel the same way here? I feel like you're not buying Cleveland's playoff success. I mean, we, 
you know, they're a good three-point shooting team, but they're not that good of a three-point shooting team. I mean, 15 threes a game. Somebody fact-checked me on the 15 threes, but I'm pretty sure it was 15 threes for, like, three games. That's Warriors level, and the Warriors aren't even doing that right now. So I think it's, you know, I wouldn't say fool's gold, but this is uh, <laughs> what you're expecting to come out of this 15-carat uh, nugget is probably only 5 carats or 7 carats. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ryan, is there anything you want to build off that on? With uh, the Cavs and their, you know... Earlier today you said you don't buy that they're going to shoot the three ball that well again. You were pretty big about that. Well, I think also because you're taking into consideration the Atlanta Hawks didn't have a DeMar Carroll guarding the wings. I, I, I'm going to keep going back to DeMar Carroll because this is the team that we signed him for. Yep. This is going up against this team. And, you know, this is, once again, the Toronto Raptors, when they want it, they, they have that ability and that length. Take away Kyle Lowry, obviously, and Corey Joseph, but they do have that length on the wings to try and guard these shots. When you also add in the fact that, look at who they have that are going that are going out of their minds right now. Shumpert, Smith, I mean, um, even Irving as well when he's been shooting the ball. These are guys that are typically known throughout the history of the NBA as kind of hotheads. They get real, real high on themselves, and then they can get real, real low on themselves when things don't start don't start going their way. Especially if they don't, they get a few calls against them now. Obviously, that may change a little bit, and it has changed a little bit since they came to the Cleveland Cavaliers organization. But at the end of the day, this all goes back to a shooter's mentality. These guys, no one was talking about Cleveland's three-point shooting ability until they rattled off all those shots against Atlanta. Not even in the first round they were talking about the three-point shooting. Nobody was talking about this. So why all of a sudden has this become this big super weapon for Cleveland when they've just started being able to do this now against one specific set defense, against one specific team that had no answer for it? So why all of a sudden is this going to be the thing that kills us? Well, I think people are just getting so scared of it because it's been the Raptors' Achilles heel all season. I mean, only the Phoenix Suns are worse. With half, half of those season, half of those games. Sorry to interrupt, Chris, my bad. No, you're but fine. I'm just saying, like, half of that, half of those games we did not have our best defender, our best perimeter defender on the floor. So I don't, I don't care what anyone says. That changes the numbers a little bit. That, that affects something. So, but once again, we also now are missing our best big man. So it's like you, you add one thing, you take away another, and that's what happens when you get caught in these back-to-back seven-game series, which also pissed me off about the Raptors and the fact that they were pushing these series out against teams that they should have been five-piecing. But... I digress. At the least now, they're at a point where they've gone through these battle tests. And if they manage to stay relatively healthy, who knows what the hell will happen. I'd agree. I mean, I feel like you're spot on with that. And uh, tomorrow, they made 15 or more threes in all four games against the Hawks. Yeah, all four, not three. So, yeah. 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 (laughs) man. It's it's going to be a large issue for the Raptors, no matter what. Absolutely. I know that you're talking about that Damari Carroll is coming back, or has come back, right, and it's, he's the best perimeter defender. But Look at Joe Johnson, that's all i got to say. I mean, anytime, like, Joe Johnson went ice cold. Right, that's you're right. That's just an example. That's an example of, and that was the guy that killed us two years ago. So, I mean, anytime that he's went up against the best player on the other team, he's done more than an admirable job. He's done what we paid him to do. So, I know, I, I keep beating a dead horse, boys, but... I know. <laughs> man, can I, only one man can have so much power, man. If you're 29th in the league, you're 29th in the league and defending the three-point shot, I can't imagine Damari Carroll turning this into like a 
stone wall around the three point line. It's still gonna be, there's oh, still man, gonna be future. holes. He's looking like future, <laughs> man, so a designer. Right, I, they, he, there's still gonna be holes, man, and this is a, this is like an issue. So if they yeah. don't zone in on this, this, you know, it could be a blowout. Well, the pick and pop, the high one five pick and pop, because they're not going to run that one five with you know your typical Kyrie, Tristan Thompson. That's going to be LeBron and Kevin Love. How the Raptors defend that is going to be crucial, because that can that can end the game. What do you do? Do you switch that? Do you? What? I think that you kind of have four, to switch it. That would be the four or five, right? So that would be Patrick Patterson and Damari Carroll. I guess if you were going to go small to compete with that, I wouldn't even know who you'd have on the. You would have on the perimeter to defend it. Is Bismack quick enough? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Is Bismack quick enough to cover the ground? Like you would have to chill at the three point line, and then we're dealing with the Braun post ups, and nobody really to. Uh, I mean, Damari Carroll is he has length, but he doesn't have the <laughs> the heft. I think I talked about this before. He doesn't have the heft to defend the post up. So I'd agree because no, I mean, there's more. There, there's so many. There are more questions than answers when it comes interesting to this ones, series. Really interesting. Because in my opinion, I mean, you can kind of hide a Patrick Patterson on, let's say, like a Channing Fry if they deploy that love LeBron Channing Fry, but you can't necessarily hide him on like a Tristan Thompson because he'll work him down low. He'll make him work for everything. And then if you're going to put Bismack on Kevin Love, is he quick enough to stand like on the perimeter? And then you know you got Demari and LeBron, so that's a lock in. But everything else after that gets really sketchy. Aside from you know LeBron Carroll, Lowry Irving, it's a bunch of question marks. Mm. There is one scary fa- uh, fact that I haven't brought up yet. Uh, I think I got a fun number for the both of you right now. Um, LeBron James, to this point, uh, has played fewer minutes in a playoffs than he ever has in his entire career. Not just in total minutes, but also per game. So this is what we're about to go up against is a LeBron James that has never been more well-rested than he ever has been in his playoff career. That kind of scares me. <laughs> Legit, that's a legitimate fear of many people that does support the Raptors yeah it's terrifying I got nothing <laughs> <laughs> I just you know at least at this point at this point like he has a lot of help right Kevin Love is playing well now Kyrie is playing well with Kevin Love now so you can afford to arrest LeBron more frequently but if yep. it is if any of these games go into overtime LeBron is playing every single minute of that overtime so don't think that he's like wearing down or he's getting tired or he's getting old or something. This is reservation. No, this is uh, conservation, sorry, not reservation, of LeBron. Just Even though he is getting older, I think he's 31 right now, they're yeah. conserving him for those finals or those huge moments, you know. In a game seven, he's playing, he's, I can imagine him playing 40 minutes, you know. And if this uh, conference final gets really difficult or somebody gets injured, can see him playing another 40 minutes at a time. So I don't think it's like him breaking down or him getting old. I just think they're conserving him oh, when we, for uh, when they need him most. Right. And uh, I don't know if they... Uh, do, you think, do you think they're going to need like really need him for this series? I don't think so, but well, there's, there's an interesting thing with LeBron, if I could comment on it really quick, would be the mental side of the game here. Um, players like Tamari Carroll are very agitating. They're very good at getting under the play, other players' skin. We've seen in the past where guys get under LeBron James' skin, and it kind of gets in his head. If we all want to go back to the Boston days where, you know, he got, he got his ass handed to him multiple times. I mean, the Cavs weren't that great, but even Miami, 
certain players like Kawhi, I mean, when they creep under LeBron's skin, he becomes more tentative with the ball. He'll drive and he'll throw the ball sometimes out of bounds. He's just he's not the same imposing, dominating LeBron that we're used to seeing. Maybe Carroll can kind of have some of that success this series. And I know I'm, I'm reaching here at the most furthest thing, but I just think mm-hmm. Carroll's ability to get under a player's skin is something that we might need to happen. Yeah, I mean, this whole series for the Raptors is going to be a reach, man. Like, there's somebody's either going to have to become uh, Kobe Bryant or somebody is going to have to become Steph Curry for them to win this series. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can only think of what two players could you be talking about? We, I wonder. Have, we actually have a Kobe. His first name's Damar, just so you know. Uh, Compton, uh, California's very own. Right. And then this 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 short six foot one guard you speak of, maybe a little bit fatter, but he's put on a little hey, weight, eh? Don't you guys think? In this all, postseason, he's all muscle now. He's spending that entire off season trying to get into shape, and it really paid off for him. You know, this entire yeah. this entire season, he's been playing well. He hasn't worn down like he did last season. Said he was even embarrassed. After that season, because uh, he basically he just like he got tired, you know, the fatigue builds up over yeah. time. Just like when you go to the gym, you know, you go to the gym for like you know three months consecutively, and then the next one week you're just like, man, I just cannot get out of bed. You have to take it. So. Yeah. I was like me at the gym today, the playing against some of the the high school kids down the road. The freaking, <laughs> I I was gasping for her after just one defensive set. <laughs> I had to run to the bench. It was pretty sad. Anyway. Chris, what do you... Chris, Ryan, what do you guys think the series is coming down to? Like, what is... I mean, the prediction, man. You know what? Before the prediction, though, I do have one question I'd like to ask you guys. Kind of reverse roles. And it kind of correlates back to DeMar DeRozan. You want, you want to do one more or you want to get right into prediction? Sure. Sure. Okay, if you're Good a Toronto Lou, how do you defend DeMar DeRozan? Do you put, like, a LeBron on him and basically say... You're their best scorer. We're going to take you out of the game. Or do you kind of, you know, put J.R. Smith on him and hope that DeMar, you know, does his DeMar thing and settles for long twos and everything else that he does because it's frustrating mm. to tell. So is it J.R. Think, or is it like, how would you defend him? I would keep J.R. or Shumpert. They'll probably play Shumpert to start just for the defensive assignment. I'd keep Shumpert on him, and if he's like really getting uh, tortured by Demar, then I'd just switch. Uh, I'd switch LeBron on him. LeBron, you're not really losing much by switching the players when you have Demar Carroll on your team. Again, he's not like a necessarily a, some somebody that is going to dominate you in any way. He has great three point stroke. I don't really see him like driving to the rim for two handed jams or anything like that. So, yeah, Shumpert, and if it's bad, LeBron. Ryan, I hope, can, thoughts? I hope Demar enjoys that. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I think um, I think they are going to put someone less. Ah, you know what? No, no, I see LeBron covering right from the beginning. Wow, I'm gonna I'll be contrarian uh, on this one. Uh, I just don't think that LeBron James even keep in mind. Tyron Lue makes suggestions. LeBron makes the final decision. Of course. <laughs> so. With that being said, I don't see after all of the time that LeBron James has been matching up with DeMar DeRozan and every time that these two teams have met up, I don't see LeBron James breaking habit and not going after the best player on the team just to set the tempo and the pace and to dictate the narrative, basically, of this series from the get-go going, if you're going to have any kind of series, you're going to have to do it over me. So 
I think it's going to send a clear message to the Toronto Raptors that they're going to have to try and do something outside of an ISO offense because there's no way. DeMar DeRozan, see, Paul George is an incredible defender. Paul George is one of the best one-on-one defenders in this league. Far none. And he was able to do what he did against DeMar. DeMar DeRozan is going to learn how, is going to have to learn how to pass the ball in this series if the Raptors have any chance of winning. Or, to your point, Chris, we might see the inner Kobe Bryant come out of him. It might, he might go Super Saiyan. I, I don't know, but I, I highly doubt that's going to happen. But I'm going to call LeBron James right from the beginning on DeMar DeRozan, try and dictate the pace of this series from game one. Okay, I can see that. I mean, if I was Lou, I wouldn't put LeBron on him just for the simple fact that I feel like letting LeBron kind of, you know, roam the defensive side of the court there and uh, kind of hawk rebounds and help on different assignments and, you know, be like that ultimate switch guy where they get into trouble. He can just use his cerebral length. I mean, he's just a beast at everything he does, that he can make any mistake turn into a non-mistake just mm-hmm. on one stride. It's ridiculous. So I think they're going to kind of kind of let him roam and play like center field per se and uh, let a guy like Jared Smith or Shumpert or... Man, they could really stick anybody on DeMar and kind of hope for the best there in that regard because I think they're banking on him shooting less than 50% every night, less than 40% even, which is going to lead transition buckets, you know, just a whole bunch of things that Cleveland does really well, and that's what scares the hell out of me with, you know, DeMar in this series is that what he does well has not been happening, and when it doesn't happen, it plays right into what Cleveland does well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So uh, that, that scares the hell out of me. The prediction, man. I want to hear it. Ryan, you can go first. <laughs> okay. All right. I think you guys are going so. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, so if Kevin Love separates his shoulder, oh, if man. Kyrie Irving rolls his ankle, if Tristan Thompson steps on someone's foot, and if J.R. Smith breaks his nose, the Cavs still might take this in seven. Yeah, LeBron's out there. LeBron's on the floor. <laughs> now, if LeBron James, and I'm knocking on wood because I would never want to see this happen to the greatest player of our generation, goes down for whatever injury, then the Raps win it in six. Wow. Okay, so in other words, Cleveland's winning this in No, yeah, Cleveland's winning it in six. Six, okay. I'm, I'll keep it short and sweet. I got the Cavs in five. They're just a far superior team. They're playing much better. What they do well, Toronto doesn't do well. What Toronto does well, the Cavs defend well. It's just it's not a great matchup for them. Um, it might have been at the end of the regular season when the Cavs weren't really clicking and they had their issues. But right now, everything's rolling. I think Toronto wins one game off pure emotion and a little bit of the Cavs sleeping. But ultimately, this thing's done in five. Damar, stage is yours. I don't even, uh, it hurts me to say it, man. I think Raptors are going to lose in five games. I even, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a sweep, to be honest, like a competitive sweep in some sort of way. Yep. The fifth game, I think, uh, game five, or maybe, you know what, I can imagine them, you know, I can imagine it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I can imagine it, where the Raptors somehow win game one, and just like stun people, and they're like, whoa. I can't believe this is happening. The if there was a game to win. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, if if it was a game to win, it would be game one because then the Cavs are rusty. They're coming off all this time. They have, they've been exactly. off for like eight days. Been off for like eight days. You know, there's this whole issue about rust versus rest, but you're definitely rusty within the first couple games, or at least the first couple quarters. So if there was ever a game for the Raptors to win, it would be the first game or the third game because it would be in Toronto. But yeah, Cavs in five, man. Real sad. Yeah, best ever Raptors team. team. Best ever Raptors. Best ever Raptors team, though. Might agree with that as well. Team. Yeah, no, this this is the best ever team. And I was going to say, to Marty, your point. So you're thinking Kyle Lowry might be able to find his like Kenner Allen Iverson, like he was against the Lakers, and just come out and go nuts in the first game. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kyrie Irving, man, he should be able to torch Kyrie this entire series. I, I'm not not really uh, worried about Kyle Lowry. I'm more about pretty much everybody else. <laughs> yeah, We're okay as long as 11 of the other guys play well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's sad. <laughs> but I'm happy we made it here, man. I'm happy we're here. Is, Enjoy there, your ride, boys. is there any <laughs> chance they can win this series? I mean, of course there's a chance, but I feel like so much would have to go right. I mean, DeMar's going to shoot the ball have... like 20 or less times. That requires him to move the ball, play defense. Do so many LeBron goes right. down. That's it. LeBron goes down. LeBron would have to get injured. Then the Raptors would be able to win. I could see the Raptors really winning, but like I don't want I don't want LeBron to get injured. Nobody Me wants either. LeBron to get injured. No, right? no. And it'd be such a wash in the final two. Like if we yeah, get to the finals, it's like we're just getting crushed <laughs> by anybody. Like right now, we're talking about them versus the Cavs. Like maybe if maybe 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 this maybe that maybe this. If it was versus the Warriors or the Thunder, I mean, they would just get run off the floor. Oh, that wouldn't be funny. Like, the way the Raptors are playing now, that would be done in three. How mad would America be if Canada How Just imagine that. How mad would the rest of America be mad at Canada for just, like, stealing their finals? Yeah. I love it. Trump would build the wall up here, too. Yeah, it's like, mad. I, they're terrible. Like, look what they did. They, they injured LeBron... Like, they're just terrible people. Yeah, oh, it's... Man. Man. Oh, boy. Enjoy <laughs> it. Just, you just have to enjoy it. That's, that's where I am right now with the Raptors. Everything now is gravy. Just get to see them on this stage of in the Eastern Conference Finals, even though I kind of expected them to be here. Same. To see yeah. them on the stage, people talking about them. You know, yeah. The Raptors are a real team. That's what I this think... whole season has been for yeah. me. Honest is like the Raptors are for real. You know, they it's a real team. They win fifty six games. They went set the most. It was a record for the most wins, and then deepest they've ever been in the playoffs. You know, Demar Derozan set the record for most points in the franchise. Like, you know, it's a real team, man. I I remember talking to you earlier, Chris, where you um I said this was a moment of pride for the Raptors. And yeah. You said what Raptors pride. <laughs> <laughs> I had right. to. It made so, it's you know, just like they don't have that usually, especially their fans. I mean, they're prideful when they're winning, and they're casual when everything else is ongoing. Right, but this is like you know, it's a real franchise. They're the second best team in the East. You know, the, what else do you what else do you want? I mean, they could be competing for a championship. This team definitely isn't built to do so at the, at this point in time. But what else can you want, man? Second in the East, playing against LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, and 
Don't forget, I mean, there was a game this year where we could have been one of the Warriors' nine losses. We took them right back down to a final possession, and a Corey Joseph turnover cost us a chance to win it. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Right? Like, this team is good. It's just, and that was when the Warriors were on that on their undefeated winning streak to start the year. They came down to a final possession against arguably the greatest team of all time, and this team to hang in there blow for blow. And even in every other time they faced off against any top four team, that's another narrative that kind of pisses me off, is no one ever does the homework to go back and really check all of these games out and go, oh, wow, they, they played well here. Oh, they beat this team here. Like when the Clippers had all of their guys there. They played San Antonio well, beat them a couple of times the last two years. They, this team has been building towards this, to your point, Damar. Like this, this is, and, and we have a reason to be prideful because if anyone were to go back and watch those games, it's, this team is so capable of shocking the world, if all, but unfortunately, of course, if all the things go right in this situation. But, I mean, this isn't something that really should be that surprising to a lot of other people, but, you know, they don't get the love that most other teams get, and that's don't kind of the way it is. No, and they've, they've only really, a lot of people who are trying to analyze the Raptors right now, and I, I find it hilarious, they, these guys have literally just been watching 14 games of this year. Yeah. And I'm not really necessarily going after like the TNT guys. The TNT guys know. A lot of the NBA, like professional writers do know. But we're hearing a lot of blogs. We're hearing a lot of people that are kind of doing, that's even necessarily what we do. And these are guys that have literally watched highlights of this team for 14 games trying to write us off. And it's just, I mean, it is what it is though, right? Well, we're not putting any credence into the one thing that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the basketball guy, Greg Popovich, what he said about the Raptors in uh, early April. Do you guys remember? No, unfortunately, I don't. So I, after the Raptors took San Antonio down to the wire without Lowry and DeRozan that night, which was a hell of a game in early April there, uh, Popovich went up to Casey, and when they shook hands in center court, he said, I think you guys are going to the finals. I swear to God, no bullshit. So are we taking credence in that, or is Pop just, you know? <laughs> you know, Pop is a, is a diplomat, you know. He loves everybody, and yep. he's only <laughs> upset when he's at his own team. <laughs> I went in, I went in, you know, I, I accept it, you know, I can finally, he, it's real recognized as real, you know, he's not somebody to get caught up in flavor of the month versus teams, he actually realizes that um, certain teams are really good, even though most people don't watch them, so I'm happy to, happy to hear this coming from Coach Pop, that he actually uh, appreciates the Raptors and what they do. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good I was going to say, yeah, I, and I completely agree, uh, uh, believe it because at the time, Cleveland wasn't doing what, what they did to the Hawks. That wasn't the conversation. And yeah. everybody was talking about how, um, how miles behind they are of the Warriors and the Spurs. So, yeah, I completely agree with that, with that statement at that time. Yeah, I think at the time when he said it, it made a lot of sense. But now, to what you're just saying there, the Cavs are on another level. They're just playing so yeah. well right now. Bastards. So um, I guess we're not doing another podcast because the series is over. So should we get in the off season tomorrow, or what do you guys want to do? <laughs> oh wow! No, I'm just kidding. Um, man. Hey, hey, everybody is like off here. The most nihilistic thing I've ever heard is like nothing matters anymore. We have already lost. <laughs> oh my god! As that's Chris's view. That you I'm, said this, that. This is what Chris has said to me. This is what well, I'm taking it as. I have one request oh. that the Raptors do not do. And this, like, I swear to God, this happens. I'll go pull it down myself. If they put up 
an Eastern Conference Finals runner-up banner like the goddamn <laughs> Indianapolis Colts did, I will pull that thing down myself. I'll probably get banned from oh. the ACC for life, but I will pull it down. Okay. Um, they're, they're not going to do that. No, I don't they think they will, win. but, I mean, that's like that's one of the biggest loser things I've ever seen in sports history. And the Colts were proud of that. Oh, my God. That's interesting. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah. We kind of matter in Indianapolis, in Indiana. Well, I mean, I've actually been to Indiana, Indianapolis, so I, I can, and I, Chris, I obviously, I already know that you've been there as well, and uh, I can actually believe that that, given the mentality and, and just looking at that town, um, and I mean, I mean town, I, I'm serious when I say town. When I look at that town, it, uh, it, yeah, that actually does make perfect sense that they're they're proud of of being slightly relevant in a uh, sports league. They got the Pacers, man. They got the Pacers. And they had Peyton Manning. Yes, for they like 15 do. Years. That was fun. Oh, it was fun. Everyone loved Peyton Manning, but I don't know how many people could have pointed out Indianapolis on a map. That's that's harsh, man. But it is also true because I do not know where it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> oh. Man. Oh, hey, oh, Matt, you, no. you play. For, you play for the Colts, right? Yeah, I play for the Indianapolis Colts. What's in Indianapolis? <laughs> oh, Chris, we have fallen off the rails. Wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, Please. we're done. We gotta get out of here. <laughs> um, on that note, guys, we're, we're gonna wrap this up. We all unanimously agree the Cavs are winning this series. Call us Toronto haters. Call us pessimists. Um, I think all three of us just recognize there's more talent. Fair to say, guys. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> alright well with that we'll see you guys after game one with the uh, post game podcast tomorrow night um, if you want to get to the show you want to send us a question reach out to us you can find us on twitter at tip of the tower you can also like our facebook page at tip of the tower if you want to reach out to tomorrow on twitter you can reach him at jg. you want to reach out to ryan you can reach him at ryanbracket416 one more if you want to reach out to me you can reach me at chrisokranitz um, guys Please try and enjoy game one. Raptors, do your best to get a W for us. And, yeah, we'll see you back here again tomorrow night, same time. Take care, guys. See you.